Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are we still having a conversation? Ready to talk? Are you listening? Yeah. You sound a little taller on radio. Now Bradley's on the air Talking well and listening better Here on BZ Till Dawn You can give him a call Then lock him right down home It's Conversation Man We call it J-Talk and J-Talking with Bradley J. Call 617-254-1030 to join in. For notification of upcoming J-Talking guests and topics, follow Bradley J. on Twitter at WBZ. You are J-Talking. We're live midnight to five. We have Brad Meltzer with us, author of First Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill George Washington. Hey, good morning. Good to hear you, sir. Good to hear you, too. Thanks for joining us. Well, why don't we just uh, start by having you tell us about it? Of course, of course. I found this story nearly a decade ago in the place where all great stories hide, which is in the footnotes. And I saw those words. It was it said the secret plot to kill George Washington, something like that. And I was like, is that real? Is that fake? Is that Internet nonsense? What is it? And it was true. It was true. In 1776, there was a secret plot to kill George Washington. When George Washington found out about it, he gathered up those responsible. He built a gallows. He grabbed one of the main co-conspirators and hanged him in front of 20,000 people, the largest public execution at that point in North American history. George Washington brought the hammer down and was like, don't mess with me. I'm George Washington. I'm going to be on the money one day. Uh, and I just I'm going to be on the, the money. That's okay. Yeah, that, that's not an actual historic quote. That's me paraphrasing this, you know what he said, but... Uh, you get the picture, and it launched my free, you know, people know me from the History Channel. I do a show called Decoded and one called Boss History. I write a lot of thrillers. I write kids' books, but this was my first ever nonfiction book, and as you said, it's called The First Conspiracy. In the Revolution, spying was a big deal, and uh, Washington was very big on gathering intelligence through espionage, correct? Yeah, and, and that's where I started. I had to gather my own intelligence. I went to uh, actually my friend who lives not far out of where you're broadcasting from, Pulitzer Prize winning author Joseph Ellis, who wrote one of the great George Washington biographies. And I said to him, um, do you know this story? Because I'm thinking about writing a book about it, but I just wanted to know what the truth was. And he said, it's a true story. He said he, he knew it. There's no modern book that had been written about it. And he said the, the problem researching the story is that it's a story, as you said, about Washington's spies. And he said, you can find right now exactly how many slaves George Washington owned. You'll never find all of his spies. By its nature, he told me, what you're searching for will forever be elusive. But he said, you got to try, because if it works, you're going to get a great book out of it. And if it doesn't, you're going to at least have an adventure. And I love having an adventure. So the first thing I did is, um, I, you know, a couple years back, on our TV show on the History Channel, on the show Lost History, we went. I told the History Channel I wanted to start a TV show where we look for lost historical artifacts. 
And one of the first things we went looking for is the 9-11 flag that the firefighters raised at Ground Zero. We all know that famous photograph. And the flag actually 24 hours after it was raised in that famous photograph went missing. And we told the story on national television, said to America, hey, someone out there has it, please, we'll give you a reward if you bring it back. And what I couldn't tell anyone is four days after the first episode aired, a man walked into a fire station in Everett, Washington, in Washington State, and said, I have the 9-11 flag. This is it. I saw the show Lost History. I want to return it. And we spent nearly a year authenticating it. Yeah, it was authenticated by, um, we work with the former head of the FBI's art crimes unit who told me this flag is now more authenticated than most Rembrandts and museums. And we were honored to, on the 15th anniversary of 9-11, unveil that flag in the 9-11 Museum, where it currently is. And I got all these people thanking me for bringing the 9-11 flag back, because my name is part of the show. It's, you know, it was called Brad Meltzer's Lost History. But the truth was, is only a fool thinks it's a one-person show. Uh, there was a whole team. And the best researcher we had on staff, the best writer we had on staff, was a guy named Josh Mensch, who was our executive producer, award-winning documentarian. And when I decided that I was going to look into the plot to kill George Washington, the first call I made was to Josh. And I said, I'm going to jump down this rabbit hole and try and find all of George Washington's great secrets from this murder plot. And you want to help me find it. And he's who I worked on it with. You do know some of these spies, some of the people involved with this plot. And they were uh, high, high in the like, New York government. Can you kind of go down the list and give some detail on each of the ones you do know about? Yeah, so the plot starts... Um, with, of all people, the governor of New York, a man named William Tryon, who was the governor under British rule. And uh, he was there running the show until he got kicked out. And we decided, you know what, we don't want to be under British rule anymore. And at that moment, Governor Tryon wants one thing and one thing only. Uh, he actually runs and escapes. He's worried that, that the Americans are going to kill him. And he escapes and, and jumps aboard a boat called the, du- the, uh, the Duchess of Gordon. And he basically, on this boat, he's not stupid, he, he parks his boat next to one of the great battleships that the British have, and no one can touch him there, because back in 1775 and 1776, we as Americans don't have a navy. So he parks his boat there, and he's safe, and for the next year of his life, from 1775 to 1776, the governor of New York wants one thing and one thing only. He wants his power back. He wants his job back. And one of the things he realizes is that George Washington has his own private bodyguards. And what George Washington did is he asked all of his top regiments, he said, give me your four best men. He wanted what they called drilled men, the best of the best. And George Washington himself, they, were, you know, they had to be a certain height, a certain you know, character. And George Washington himself narrowed it down to about 50 men. They became what they called the, the commander's guard, the general's guard is what they called them. But the name that stuck was this name, the lifeguards, because part of their job was to guard George Washington's life. And these were the men who the governor approached. Uh, it was the governor of New York and the mayor of New York approached these men who were some of his personal bodyguards and said, you want to switch sides. And these were the men who turned on George Washington. And I don't care if you're the greatest general. I don't care if you become the first president. I don't care how wonderful you are. That is a moment that is devastating for George Washington. And it's really because, as you said, um, spying was so big and the British were just better at it than we were. They knew how to infiltrate. They knew how to turn our own men against us. George had some spies. Do you know anything about our sp- his spies? Yeah, so what happens is when George Washington gets wind of the plot to murder him, 
he basically forms his own secret committee. And he puts John Jay in charge of it. John Jay later becomes the first Supreme Court justice. But at this moment in time, in 1776, John Jay is just starting out. And they give this committee a name. They call it the Committee on Conspiracies. It's eventually John Jay, Governor Morris, and Philip Livingston. And narrows down to about three men who they trust, who they know they can trust. And they start knocking on doors, finding suspects, talking to people, interrogating them. But what they do in the process is what they're really doing is they're building America's first counterintelligence agency. And people will tell you today that the precursor to the CIA is the OSS, but not to me. What it really traces back to, all of it traces back to, is this moment in 1776 in the plot to kill George Washington. When you see the first, and you read the first conspiracy, you'll see that right now, currently, in CIA headquarters, to this very day in Langley, Virginia, there is a room named after John Jay, who they call the founding father of counterintelligence. And these become some of Washington's first spies. I have to learn more about John Jay. I do lots of uh, interviews with folks on the founders, but we haven't really covered John Jay. We'll do that sometime in the future. Now, as the governor of New York was trying to get people, to, some of the general's guard or the lifeguards, lifeguard to turn, I mean, if he approached one and the, the, he was not into it, how come that wouldn't didn't dime him out and expose the plan? I mean, yeah, and and yeah, and it's a good question. You know what happens here, and here's the issue: is we we tend to we're a country founded on legends and myths, and the legends and myths we love most are ourselves. So what we do with our heroes, especially in the Revolutionary War, is we dip them in granite, we make statues of them. George Washington is the perfect example. He's on the dollar bill every single day. We see him, but he's oddly also one of the people we know the least about in the Revolutionary War. He's not like Jefferson. He's not like John Adams, who are writing flowery, lovely letters to his loved ones every day. George Washington keeps everything close to the vest. And the other thing, we, the other story that we also love to tell is that, you know, we, we were all united as a, as, you know, this, this fledgling country. We held hands. We dreamed of democracy. We took on the British and all lived happily ever after, you know, taking down one of the greatest fighting forces ever assembled at the time. And it's a good story, but it's not the real story. The real story is far more complex. And when you look back, you know, in 1776, uh, we think we're divided as a country today. We were so divided back then. There were, back in 1776 in New York City, when the British first invaded, there were nearly as many loyalists on the British side as there were Americans on the Patriot side. And it was the same in our own military. Our own military was, you know, we were lots of regiments. We weren't one fighting unit. We were the, you know, the Massachusetts regiment fight, fought with the Virginia regiment, didn't get along with the Connecticut regiment. There's a scene in the, in the first conspiracy when you read it that shows the moment where the, George Washington brings together all these different regiments in Massachusetts and Harvard Yard. And one of the things he sees is the Massachusetts regiment starts mouthing off to the Virginia regiment. They don't like the frilly thing on their uniform. And so they mouth off, a fight breaks out, and George Washington races in on his horse, leaps off the horse, grabs two of the guys by the throat and says, stop fighting with each other. We're on the same team. And that's, the, you know, that's what George Washington was facing. He was facing total chaos. And when you, you know, just like then as, as in now, no one wants to be on the losing side. So it wasn't a foregone conclusion that we were going to win. People tell the story that, oh, my gosh, the Revolutionary War was so great. Young men signed up to fight. Yes, because we paid them. 
Old men, they signed up to fight. They believe in democracy. No, they signed up because we paid them. And when you have a situation where you're paying so many of your troops, and not only are you paying them, but the troops are looking around and realizing, wait, we may lose. The British have more experience. They got this Navy. They're going to invade. We don't have barely have gunpowder. We barely have shoes or guns. No one wants to lose. And in that moment, uh, the governor of York was really smart because he realized that when you have an army that's being paid, when you have one that may lose, you have what they call in spy terms an opportunity. And he, he didn't just go out and just say to people, hey, who wants to switch sides? He did his research. They did his homework. And they figured out who was not happy with, with their side. And, and every day as the, as the war was being fought, especially in the early days of the war, when it, when it looked like we were going to get beat, you had people switching sides. And don't forget, half of our military was people who were deserters from the British military. So they already won switch sides. You better believe they're going to switch back. So it was just a much more complex moment. That's why. And, and as for someone dropping a dime on the whole thing, I don't want to ruin it, but you'll see when you read the first conspiracy that George Washington isn't the one who discovers the plot to kill him. John Jay isn't the one who discovers the plot to kill him. The one who foils the plan is the most ordinary person in the most ordinary situation on the most ordinary night overhears exactly what you just asked about, two guys talking, and changes all of history potentially in that moment by finally opening his mouth and telling someone who should listen. Well, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about so much of the course of the war being determined by soldiers' pay. If I remember correctly... The choice to cross the Delaware that night was, uh, you know, partly that date had to do with the a lot of the soldiers' hitch was going to be up, and they had to do this action before the soldiers left, and they couldn't pay them anymore. That's I think I remember that. Does that ring a bell with you? Well, you know, listen, you know, the, the story that I love is, is the one from the Battle of Brooklyn in 1776. The British invade. It's one of the first great battles of the war. And again, we don't, we don't win. We get our butts kicked. George Washington gets outgeneraled. He doesn't have the experience of the British generals. And in that moment, George Washington gets pinned down. He's got the British in front of him. He's got behind them. The only thing behind them is the East River. No way to run. It's the moment where George Washington should die. This should be the moment where he dies. And he could beat his chest in that moment and say, here's what we're going to do, fellas. We're going to take out as many of them as we can. We're going to go out in a blaze of glory. We're going to show them what's what. And there's nothing macho about that. Show everyone what a man is. There's nothing manly about that. That's stupidity. George Washington instead does the best thing he always does. He adapts. He improvises. And in the middle of the night, he plans a daring escape. And as, as this fog rolls in all the East River, they commandeer every boat they can find along the East River. And as the fog is there, George Washington slowly puts his men aboard the boats and sails them off to safety. But here's the key moment. Yeah. So- okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So George Washington, uh, in the cover of night and under this fog, commandeers all these boats. But the key moment is this, is George Washington won't get on any of the boats until all of his troops, from the highest rank to the lowest rank, 
get on there first, and they're safely away. And his troops see that. They see him risking his own life for their lives. And not that this is the magic moment that built America. There are plenty before and plenty after. But I love when you read the first conspiracy that you get to see the secret plot to kill George Washington. But what I love even more is you get to see the depth of George Washington's character. Because I think that's what is so necessary today. That's what we really need today is a reminder, you know, there was no United States back then. George Washington had to help build it by putting his arms around all this chaos, all these troops who are plotting against him, people who are switching sides. Um, you know, when you look back at 1776, we actually looked, and, and you'll see the, all the details in the first conspiracy, but we did how much even, you know, when, when the British first invaded, 10,000 American troops were sent to New York to fight. And all the wealthy people who lived in New York City were like, oh, I'm out of here. I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to be here for a war. But all the all the 10,000 troops, when they descended on the city, they did exactly what 10,000 men do when they're left alone without their wives and girlfriends. They're gambling, they're drinking, they're going to prostitutes. And George Washington is a proper Virginian gentleman. He's horrified by this. And he starts issuing general orders, which are basically the rules that come down every day. You know, don't forget the military didn't even have all the rules back then. He had to build them day by day. Mm -hmm. So some of his first general orders say no, no, no gambling. He hated gambling. Stop drinking. Stop going to prostitutes. I mean, right. Like and and again, George Washington has to bring this country together at this moment where it's just total, utter chaos, much less the fact that we're fighting, you know, one of the greatest fighting forces ever assembled at the time. How far along did the plot get? So the interesting thing about the plot to kill Washington is, and this is the key part of the first conspiracy, is the plot's foiled. So we never actually know, you know, you know how close it was because they get the guys who are in charge. But I can tell you this. This is what the plot was supposed to be, is the plan was is that when the British invade, and they come to New York, that the signal will be given, and all the secret undercover agents who are working for the, secretly for the British, but that were on our side, we're going to switch sides in our military and suddenly start working for the British. And in that moment, they were going to blow up some of our bridges, steal some of our cannons. Some people say they were going to kill George Washington right there. It was an assassination attempt. Others say they were going to kidnap him. The truth was, is that when you kidnapped our soldiers back then, if you were a low-level soldier, it would be a prisoner exchange, so we just trade you back. But at George Washington's level, at that really high level, there was no prisoner exchange. You got hanged. And so either way, George Washington's going to lose his life. Um, and again, I don't want to ruin the, the end of the first conspiracy, but you'll see just how close it really got, and you'll see exactly how it gets foiled. Because, you know, you, you can't help but think in that moment how does history change if George Washington dies, right? Right. There's no one else uh, that could have done I, could could have done the job. Not even any number of people. No group could have done what that one man did. And, and I think the key moment is. I think you're right there. You know what happens is, you know, when you when you really look at the situation, I, I don't think George Washington's greatest legacy or even greatest victory is that he wins the war. It's not that he becomes. Uh, you know, the, the first president, that's not what makes him great. Well, his greatest legacy and his greatest accomplishment to me is what he does after the war is won. Because after the war is won, George Washington is so popular that he can become the 
king and the, you know, uh, the, the new king of the United States. He can be our new king. He's that popular. People easily make him king. We're used to a king, and they can make him be that, just that. And in fact, the King George in, in Britain at the time says, in England, I should say, says to the painter Benjamin West, what's he going to do? What's George Washington going to do now that he won the Revolutionary War? I know what the answer the is. Painter, he, I, he basically says he's going to go home. Yes, he says. And, and, I suspect and King, he'd like King to go George home to his he farm. He does that. Right. He says he's going to go home to his farm. And King, and King George says back, if he does that, he'll be the greatest man who ever lived. And that's exactly what George Washington does. And he does it again after his second term. You know, he could have had a third term or a fourth term. He was popular as could be. But he doesn't. Instead, he has faith in us as a country faith in us as a people and he says i don't he doesn't take all that power and to me that's where history would have changed if the if the first conspiracy actually you know the plot to kill george washington succeeded that's where history changes is maybe you can you know you can find better smarter uh, intellectuals at the time you could find better generals who knew more about being a general at the time but man i don't think you'll find anyone with a depth of character who would walk away from power like that. I love revolutionary history. And that's why uh, I was attracted to the first conspiracy, the secret plot to kill George Washington. I'm a big giant fan of George Washington as well. Brad Meltzer, you, you were talking to me about someone you gave a copy to that you were excited about and that I would be excited about. Yeah, you know, I, um, I, the person I'm talking about is President George H.W. Bush. Oh. And what happened was I had gotten, you know, I write, people know my thrillers and, and these, the, the Ordinary People Change the World kids books that we do, which we can talk about. Um, but I can tell you that I did a lot of, I got a, a letters from President Clinton and President Bush uh, that they liked my thrillers years ago. And I, I had done a lot of work, with, literacy work with Barbara Bush, because Barbara Bush believed there was no politics about it. She said she wanted to, you should teach everyone to read, not just kids, but adults and people who speak uh, something beside English, immigrants, you teach everyone to read. That's how you unlock the American dream. Beautiful idea. And so we were honoring Mrs. Bush, Bush after she passed a couple months back. And a few months back, I should say. And it was at that point we knew it was happening to President Bush. I knew it was coming, and I'd gotten word that they were bringing in some of his favorite authors to read to him. And they asked me, they said, would you like to read to President Bush? I said, I'd be honored to do that. And so I'm in Kennebunkport, Maine, and I go to his office, um, Walker's Point, and they warn us. They say, you know, they tell my wife and I, listen, he's only going to be awake for about 10 minutes. He falls asleep pretty quickly. And I said, I'd be honored. And, they, and they, they, I said, 10 minutes is great. So they go into the office, and now it's just me and my wife. It's President Bush and his service dog, Sully. And, and we know this is the end. We know what's about to, you know, what's happening here uh, eventually. And I can see on his desk there are about five or six books stacked up. And one of them is a copy of The First Conspiracy. I had sent him a copy about a year ago, and he actually blurbed it. President Clinton blurbed it for us. We're thrilled about that. But this copy that he has on his desk, it looks like it's been read so many times. It's just completely you know, gone through. And I say to him, you want to read this, sir? I brought my copy. And he says, uh-huh, because he can't really speak at this point. He's just nodding and going, uh-huh. And I start reading a chapter, and I bring the ch one of his, my favorite chapters is where George Washington – presents the Declaration of Independence, has it read to his troops for the first time. Very emotional chapter. And he, sure enough, within 10 minutes, he, he looks like he's asleep. And I get to those words, 
those words from the Declaration of Independence we all know. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And his eyes pop open. And it's like it's full clarity. He is ju- it's like the words of the Declaration of Independence are just, it's like it's lifeblood for President Bush. And that's, that's I get to the end of the chapter, and he's still focused. And I say, sir, you want to read another chapter? He says, uh-huh. And I go, another? Uh-huh. And another? Uh-huh. And I'm there, not for 10 minutes, but for a full hour reading the first conspiracy to him. And, you know, to be able to read about our first president, to at that point, who was our oldest living president, was so humbling. But as I look back, after he died, I, I remember that the word that jumped out of so many of the tributes to him was this one word decency decency and yes because he was a decent guy we know that but it was also because i think as a culture again whatever your politics are whatever side of the aisle you sit we're a culture that's now starving for decency um and i think it's why we need leaders like president bush need leaders like george washington what we have right now in the culture is we focus on those on social media who are good at calling attention to themselves. That's what we do. With so that's what social media is, is people who write in all caps and 50 exclamation points and say, look at me. But what we really need to remember as a culture is those lessons from George Washington. It's the humble ones. It's the modest ones. It's the hard workers um, that I think are far better leaders for us as a culture. We need to go there, but do, uh, do people still read? Is that going away? No, you know, the amazing part is, um, do they read as much as they used to? It depends on the demographic. Older, yes. Younger, actually, yes. Young kids today actually read more than the generations above them, which is amazing considering what they have distracting them. We're certainly distracted by Netflix, by social media, by everything else. Um, But we're thrilled. You know, the response to the first conspiracy, I can't tell you how many older people, middle-aged, younger people, they're all, because here's the thing is we still all want a good story and there's no story that's as good as a real story. Is your book, and, and is, I, the fact that all this happened is the best part. Is it an audio book yet? Yeah, not only is it an audio book, but Audible just said it was one of their um, top rated books on audible.com in terms of listener enjoyment. It had something like 500, almost five-star reviews for it. It was incredible. Uh, and it's the same guy, Scott Brick, who does my thrillers, did the nonfiction book. He's just incredible at it. And, and uh, I just love that people get to finally see it. And in fact, next week we come out, I don't know if I told you this, but I do this line of children's books where we do real historical heroes. And we've done George Washington. We've done Dr. King. Uh, Amelia Earhart, Abraham Lincoln. Next week, we actually come out with "I Am Billie Jean King" as our newest one. Oh, that's cool! And we, I did uh, so. We do not just books for adults like the first conspiracy, but we do ones for kids as well. And you had a book come out about a year ago about that involved Houdini, the the escape artist. Yeah, you know that book um, was a, was a thriller. It was a fictional book, and I was doing a tour uh, for U- the USO, and I, I've done tours for them in in Kuwait and. Uh, Oman and Qatar and Turkey and Cuba, you know, they come and bring different entertainers to come entertain the troops. And they bring uh, half a dozen thriller writers they used to bring over um, almost yearly to, to go and entertain. And when I was there, I heard about a place called Dover Air Force Base. And we all know Dover, even if you don't know it by name, it's the place where when a soldier dies, you see that flag covered coffin come off the plane yeah. and salutes. Dover, Delaware. And Dover, Delaware. And I was just, you know, I thought, I want, you know, I want to write, you know, Dover, I found that is where, when the Pentagon victims on 9-11, their bodies went to Dover. And the Challenger explosion, those bodies went to Dover, too. And in fact, all of our spies across the world, 
that are on secret missions, when they die, they go to Dover too, which means Dover is a place that's filled with secrets. And I was like, you know what? I want to write about that place for a thriller. And I figured I'd go there and, you know, I'd write, I figured out, they'll tell me some of the good secrets. And when I got there though, I was humbled. Because what I saw there is the men and women who worked on our fallen soldiers, they would spend 12 hours rewiring someone's jaw because a family said they wanted to see their son's face one last time. They smoothed it over with clay, made it look perfect. They rebuilt someone's hand completely because a mother said, and she specifically asked, could she hold her son's hand one last time? And these were the best of the best of us working on the best of the best. So these were real heroes. And I said, I got to write about Dover, Delaware, and, and, and write a book about them. And one of the things I always do with my books is I give the people who work there my plots. And I said, I want the plot to be that a Dover mortician who's working there finds a secret note hidden on someone's body, maybe a tattoo, maybe in their pocket. Have you ever found someone come to you with a secret note? They said, you know what? Here's what happens. If you're on a plane and your plane is going down, it's about to crash, and you write a note and you swallow the note, that depending on how high you are and the speed of the crash, the liquids in your stomach can actually prevent the note from burning. And I said, that's a great idea. And, and they said to me, that's not an idea. It really happened. And I love that idea. I love that it really happened. And that's what happens in, in The Escape Artist is there's a hero of the book is the guy who works at Dover. He opens up a body one day, and he's working on this body of this woman who he knows from when she's younger. She used to be in Girl Scouts with his daughter. And it's a woman named Nola Brown. And as he opens up Nola's body, he sees a note hidden inside her stomach that she swallowed. And the note says, Nola, you are right. Keep running. And he realizes she's not Nola, this body. Nola's actually survived. She's on the run. Someone switched places with her. She's alive. She's the escape artist. And I just ruined chapter one of the escape artist for you. But that's how the uh, Hey, the it was worth it. Up. Thank you very much. Brad Meltzer, uh, the, the book we talked about mostly tonight was The First Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill George Washington. Thank you very much for your time late at night like this. That was another Jay Talking Podcast. If you loved what you heard, like and review the show. It helps others find us. Subscribe to the Jay Talking Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. Follow me on Twitter for show updates. And as always, you can catch the show live every weeknight starting Sunday, midnight to five on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.